HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, home of New York's craft cider. I love New York. Plan your getaway at visitithaca.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. We celebrate our 200th podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk. We'll talk to Gary about wine, the digital world, NFTs, his new book, and more. I'm your host, Sam Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Gary Vaynerchuk is the chairman and CEO of VaynerX, overseeing companies including VaynerMedia, Vayner Sports, Vayner NFT, Tracer, Gallery Media Group, to name a few. He is a prolific angel investor with ties to Facebook, Twitter, Uber, and Snapchat, among others. He is co-founder of Resi Empathy Wines, VCR Group, and his latest passion, VFriends. A true entrepreneur at heart, Gary can't pass a garage sale without stopping and picking up a 15-year-old Furby. Gary is a five-time New York Times bestselling author. His sixth book, 12 and a Half, Leveraging the Emotional Ingredients Necessary for Business Success, is coming out this month at the end of November. Gary V is truly a dear friend and the sharpest dude I know. I just want to mention that we had some problems with the audio at the beginning of the uh, interview. We were able to fix everything, so hang in there and enjoy. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the Great Nation, Gary. We're talking to Gary remotely in New York City. Thank you for coming on and doing our 200th podcast. That's special to me. Thank you. Um, so, what episode was I on before? You were like on 21 Some and 89. You know, like so this, nothing. This, this yeah. I've leveled up. This is your third time, but Josh Green from. Uh, Wine and Spirits BG. He comes on every Christmas. He'll be on six times. I like him a lot. All right, so Gary. One of my first guests on Wine Library TV. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. We do a year-end thing. That'll be uh, early December. All right, so you know this is a wine podcast. Yes. So we do have to talk some wine. I'd like to. Uh, But before we get into the grape, I want to get your take on a few things. NFTs, the digital world, and of course your new book, which is fresh to come out. 
So you participated in a huge NFT conference just last week in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so a few things. For my audience, because who better than you, can you break down to people what an NFT is? Yep. How can people get into it? And, you know, talk to me a little about the yeah. difference, too. Okay. An NFT stands for non-fungible token. It's a nerd term. It's kind of like the World Wide Web. We don't say www or HTTP. We don't worry about the protocols or the nerd stuff. The blockchain, sorry for the New York background, but I actually love it. I'm sure some of you enjoy it as well. Um, the blockchain is decentralized servers versus servers that are owned. So companies, my library, I own the server. I could see who was coming in, what was happening. If somebody's credit card was stolen, it was on me. It was my controlled world. The blockchain, unlike the internet, is decentralized. Nobody owns it. It's a series of uh, servers talking to each other, confirming state of work, proof of state, proof of work. It's this whole protocol. The best, this whole ecosystem. The best way I can describe it is, if you're like, what's Gary saying here? And I've heard it. I've heard Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain. I've heard it, but I don't get it. It's no different than what 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds had to deal with in 1994. And, and, and this is great for you because you because how old? old? No, but you're not old. But how old were you in what, what year were you born again? Remind me. Fifty-five. So in fifty-five. So in ninety-five. Perfect. You were forty, right? And so like I'm I'm turning forty-six in in a week, right? This week. Um, so you were six years younger than me when you heard about the internet or around that range, and you were already a grown man. Your children. Those characters, you know, you know, you you were a grown man, and you probably, and you thought you were a hotshot and star and radio. You probably had to I take, wasn't. you probably had to take a few minutes, aka hours, weeks, maybe even months, maybe even years, to get comfortable with like, like you remember, and a lot years. of listeners, yeah, it was like, Literally what is years. this? And the first time I went on, it was like going into yeah, the uh, vortex, un unbelievable. And so, you know. People are struggling with the blockchain because what an NFT is, it is actually owning something digitally for real. And we've lived much like Earth, <laughs> much like your first 40 years, you lived life without the internet. You lived it. You, right. you didn't buy something online. You wanted to buy something, you went to a fucking store, right. right? You didn't look, you wanted information, you literally had to use an encyclopedia or like somebody had to tell you. You had to find it in a book. Now you right. right? Like yes. See, even notice how you're like right. The Encyclopedia Britannica. I have gotten so much. I was so bad in school. Google over the last twenty years has genuinely made me educated in things. Right. Besides documentaries, Google Twitter search, all of it. That's Twitter search is more like the pulse. But like a true Google search of like like real stuff. Like what does this word mean? Right. Or like, where is that place again? Like, is that in Africa or the Middle East? Like, you know, just little things. Anyway, everyone's struggling with, wait, I own this digitally? Yes, you own this digitally. An NFT is something that is proven. You know, we've heard the jokes already, like, this is so stupid, a JPEG, I can just right click it. Well, you can't. Like, I can go outside right now, take a photo of myself next to a Ferrari, and I can make pretend I own it, but I don't actually own it. You can right click a CryptoPunk or a VFriend or a Board Ape Yacht Club and post it on your, and take over your Instagram account you can make pretend you own it, but you don't own it. Bow Wow, the rapper, may pretend that he took a private flight 
with a photo a couple years ago went viral on the internet, but then somebody took a photo of him inside a plane, commercial, which proved he didn't, like, you, you, this is actually owning digital assets. Now, before everybody says, why would I want to? Well, well why would you want to op- own a bottle of 82 Petrus? Is it because you want to drink it? Or is it because you want to tell Sam Ben Ruby that you own it? Like, or do you want to take it out when you have six legit friends or your old friends from the neighborhood and you want to prove you made it or your boss to prove that you're on your way to making it or who the hell knows, but I can tell you this, my entire career, everything you just rattled off, I'm Mariano Rivera. I have one pitch and I'm going to the fucking Hall of Fame easily because that one pitch is consumer behavior. What I've done as well as anybody and I'm proud of that, I haven't used it as well as anybody. Mark Zuckerberg used his same skill that I have that he has to build a platform that's financially much greater than what I've done. But I was never in and you know me very well. I am remarkably not motivated by money. I'm massively motivated by my game. And my game is understanding what people do as a marketer, as a businessman, innovating, being right, I love that feeling. So I hate sports when we talk about it, you can't be right, you're always guessing. With business, I'm never guessing, I have a good sense. And so for everybody who's listening, an NFT is an asset. How it, do I? So, how do you buy one? Okay. So back to Google. How do I get yeah, into that? Yeah, back to Google. The, the biggest platform for NFTs is Ethereum, but there's others. There's Wax, there's Solana, uh, there's Cardano, there's, there's other blockchains, other pr- platforms. But I would probably at this point this early on, and this is, call it the Yahoo right now of the search, like this is back to internet stuff. <laughs> Yahoo was the big winner on search. Google came along six, seven years later and disrupted. So Ethereum's winning. As a matter of fact, as, as we are filming this and taping this and doing this right now, literally higher, literally Ethereum is at its all time high. It's at 47.61. Right now, this exact second. Now. I'm very bullish on Ethereum because I understand how it works. I've been paying attention to it for a half a decade longer actually now. I bought it in 2015 or 16, I don't recall, but I've been around it and it's the one that everybody needs. If you wanna buy an NFT, my recommendation is Google what Ethereum is, get a Coinbase account, turn some USD into Ethereum, check out what a MetaMask is because you got it's a very complicated. You know what I would say this is right now? And Coinbase is about to make this easier. They're gonna start making all this happen on the back end. Do you know that before Mark Andreessen invented Netscape Navigator, there were no browsers and you had to actually like know how to code to get on the internet? Nobody normal could you do that. You were typing lines yeah, and lines. Yeah, I, I, you couldn't do that. Then Netscape Navigator came in and you could type in an address, hit enter, and now all of a sudden it became palpable for many more people. That's what's good. You know, right now, when I just rattled off by Ethereum on court, no, it's not. Because when I, now we're all in the world more technically savvy than we were in 95. It'll happen quicker. It will happen quicker. It's why it's already happening. Yeah. Like I, spending the kind of money and time I've spent on being custodial, not custodial, excuse me, non-custodial with my money, meaning the bank's not holding it, I am, and I could lose it and it's stolen, it's gone. It's like the six, It's like the wild, wild west when you claimed land in America in the 1600s and then some guy came with a bigger gun and he says, this is right. my land now. Like people are just stealing shit. People don't get it. The world is civilized now. Like, you know, you go back 500 years, shit was crazy. That's kind of how this is. Like people are stealing people's NFTs and like, it's, it's absolutely the wild, wild west. It's absolutely gold rush. But here's the punchline before we get too off a tangent. 
This will change everybody's life that's listening to this the way the internet did. And for some people, that just changed the way they bought soap. And for other people, they invented things to change life. For other people, they stayed in touch with their family in Europe that they would have never the same way. Other people, they met their love on it, right? Think about how many people have met on Tinder or, or other, online dating. The, the, it changed everyone's life. So will this. So will this. Some will change because they do what I'm doing right now and buying CryptoPunks and buying VFriends and buying XCopy and they're literally buying the Andy Warhol and Jackson Pollock and Mickey Mantle rookie cards and Superman comic number one and some rare coin and it's the collectible thing. But for everybody else, every ticket to every sporting event, every ticket to every concert in 10 years will be an NFT, which means you'll use it functionally to get into Madison Square Garden, but if it's the Billy Joel concert where he breaks the record, much like if you go on eBay right now and can buy a ticket stub from anything from a World Series to like, the first Earth Day concert, you know, the <laughs> reality is this. You own that. You own it, so you'll be able to sell it. We're gonna turn things into things, and so that's what's going on. So the real answer to the question is you need a MetaMask or a Rainbow Wallet, one of these wallets that lets you buy on OpenSea and other places. So you need a mechanism to uh, purchase. You know what, go to 1.37 p.m. I'm very proud of this. As a media company I own. Tyler, who used to be my admin, you know very well, is basically the editor-in-chief. And we've been pumping out an ungodly amount of How NFT tos. 101s, yeah. like true 101 stuff. So Google 1.37 p.m. NFT and you can get what you need. We can skip over. So it. what about VFriends? So v you were an early, not adopter, early entry I was an early collector in this wave, because 2017 is when this happened with CryptoKitties, so it's four years later I come in. A lot of people came in last year late with CryptoPunks. I went heavy in January on CryptoPunks in February, and then I realized, oh my God, this is really actually gonna change the world. Let me do what I've always done, because to remind everybody, I didn't own a computer when I launched winelibrary.com, but I thought the internet would change the world. I never was on camera in my life before I did an episode <laughs> of Wine Library TV, but I knew that content and social media were gonna change the world, and I had to make content anything that I could make. I almost did a jet show, by the way. As a matter of fact, you want a fun fact? Like a wine library? Like do your own You want a shtick? great one? Yeah. AJ did the first your video brother. blog. My brother did the first video blog in the, com in the family. When I thought YouTube was gonna change the world, it was November of 2005, 2005. You know, I was a retailer at that point. November, December, this week? Like, actually, this day still gives me the willies. This because, is the game. Because I know that Brandon and Dad are busy as shit the next 10 weeks. Um, so I couldn't do it. So I called AJ, he was in college freshman year. I'm like, bro, you need to do a show on the Jets. And I gotta find those videos. So from November and December <laughs> and January, AJ did a show. And ironically, he stopped because season was over and he never went back to it. And then February 20th, I started Wine Library TV. Same thing happened this time. Oh my God, the world's changing. I have to be an active participant. I've been having this idea of a toy company called Workplace Warriors. I actually have video of it I haven't put out yet. Three years ago, me in a meeting, working with a designer to create Patient Panda, to create Empathy wow. Elephant. Yeah. All these guys that are All these now. guys that are now V friends and gals that are V friends, I was inventing as toys to put on desks and I didn't get around to it. I got sidetracked, then COVID hit. And so when I decided to do this, I'm like, I'm gonna do that thing that I wanted to do in NFT form because I wanted to do those toys because I wanted those toys to start the process of me building intellectual property, cartoons, backpacks, movies. Um, 
And so this is a much better platform than toys would have been. And so that's how V Friends were done. And so Accountable Ant and all these other characters that showed up, these are characters I've had in my head for years, wow. which is wild. Something Hundreds. I know. Two hundred, yeah, most of the characters I did not have in my head. What I had in my head was Hat Tip to Sweet Pickles, which was a kid's <laughs> book that I learned how to speak English on in, oh, in the early 80s. Very, uh, and they had alliterations. Tight. I don't remember the names, but it was like Allergic Alligator or like Beneficial Baboon or something. And it always kind of like, the alliteration thing always stuck. And so the alliteration character thing, Adventurous Astronaut and you know, really became very obvious to me the framework that I wanted to do with V Friends. And I want to do what Gary V does on content. I want to talk about positive traits in humanity, the things that I do think bring joy and happiness and content and lack anxiety. And, you know, I've really carved out a niche for myself. Which in we'll talk later ties into the book. Oh. I mean, it's really all of that. So don't, yeah. don't jump okay. there yet. Please. Um, all right, so that's NFTs. I mean, obviously, it's it's, a lot more, it's but, more than a handful, but yes. I mean, we're definitely putting people in the right direction. Um, just some curiosities: Is Zuckerberg correct where he sees the world as a metaverse, or yes. is that just that's that's one hundred percent? We're gonna okay, have. and I'll tell you why. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that technology is close. Okay, that if I told you that seventeen-year-olds were not going to want to drive their own car when you and I were growing up and there was gonna be a thing called Uber where everybody basically had their own personal driver, we would have laughed over a beer. <laughs> That's right. If I told you that people would have met the person they were gonna marry through a computer at scale, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, we would laugh. If I told you anything that's going on now, <laughs> we right. would laugh. It's crazy. And I'll tell you this, people are bad at history. Like our great, great grandparents- Bad how, they forget explain, or they yeah, get they it wrong? No our, you and I, our great-great-grandparents, and probably for both of us, our great-grandparents, yeah, mine for sure, then definitely yours, lived their childhood without a television. Oh, yeah. Well, don't, oh, yeah, me. Think about that. That's insane. No, not. It's, the, the it, TVs, no, I don't think yeah. the technology existed. It didn't. They it wasn't were, that they, they couldn't were, afford they were, it. They were radio. That TV that's hanging on my wall right now is becoming obsolete. I literally, last night for four hours, stayed on my phone, didn't turn on my TV. That's insane to 46-year-old me. We don't get it, is what I'll say. Like flying cars, sure. So you're mm -hmm. answering my next question. Please. And you started into it, so finish it. You know, you see things before they happen. Yes. I mean, I know that. Um, what should we pay attention to? I mean, this. NFTs. The blockchain you know, talk in general. What do decentralized servers, what does VR and AR all mean? So here's why it's so powerful. All of this is considing at the same time. You have decentralized servers that can prove ownership that everybody has to accept. It's like a ledger. It's like, who owns this apartment? Well, the state says who, right? A right. stamp. Right. Well, that's what the blockchain is, and, it can't, and it's even better. It can't, be, it can't be manipulated like a human being can, right? You know, how, how do approvals get done, right? You, you milk- It goes through you a whole yeah, bureaucratic- but you, Yeah, but you milk that person. If you're oh, in a yeah, small yeah, town yeah, yeah, yeah. and you need an addition Building to your inspector how many, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all humans that are getting kickbacks. Yeah. And, and even when they're not doing the wrong thing, it's subconscious bias. I just like this guy. I'm gonna get, he's a good guy. I'm right. gonna prove right. this. I don't like him. Yeah, or that, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. or you're insecure and that's why you become a politician so you can have power and like all that bullshit. Anyway, that's happening. Meanwhile, at the same time, the technology around AR and VR is moving quickly. 
so quickly that Mark's right. Like, do I think in 15 years that we're ready player one, where we're like living in some sort of like virtual world? I argue that we're living in it now. I think people care more about a blue check and how many followers they have and looking at their phone versus looking at the world more now. Absolutely. Well, let, let's. We're I mean, that in, kind of sums a lot up. We're in the metaverse now. I want to talk to every person and I want to put a camera on them for a week and I want to see how much time they spend on their phone looking in the metaverse, the internet, versus looking at the real world. And when they have a choice, you know, it's one thing when you're at work, it's one thing when you're driving and you have to look at the road, it's one thing when you're walking through the airport. How about when you have a choice? How about when it's just four hours and you have a choice? What are you really doing? The amount of time right. that we spend in the metaverse is heavy. Right. So I think over time, it's gonna be more and more. Let's play it out. 15 years from now, we're really living in there. All of a sudden, the blue check mark and how many followers you have, how many subscribers you have, how many listens you have, how many downloads, all that clout, all that social signaling, all that virtue signaling, all that communication, it all becomes digital. So now all of a sudden, is it better to own a Rolex in real life in 20 years or is it better to own an NFT that represents what the Rolex means? The answer is the latter. Of course. Well, guess what? That's not something people understand yet. Yeah. And so the economics are extraordinary on the people that do. And not only the economics, the social behaviors, the legacies, the parenting, the happiness, the anxiety, the concerns, the excitements, it changes the human race. Humans are... So funny. They think that the world just stops when they're alive. Like, like right. I love when everyone's like, oh, social media has really ruined the world. I'm like, really? You like the old world where we had the most assassinations, the most dictators, the most fascism? We had the Holocaust like 40 minutes ago because of mainstream media. Why all of a sudden is social? So we love to like romance the past and demonize the current. It's true. And that's why people struggle with innovation. They romance the past and they demonize the current. All right, let's, uh, can we talk a little about wine now? Please. I got to come up for air after, mm-hmm. after all that. All right, you were on the show a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I asked you about, you know, what's going on with wine, and you talked about how Barolo, you, you singled it out, how at that time was underappreciated, undercollected, and a good value. Um, of course, you were right. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? So now Barolo's highly collected and, you know, recognizable. In talking wine, talk to me about regions, winemakers, yeah. what's that I have next a really interesting, thing? I have a really interesting take. That one was clear to me. I mean, that's me. a very broad question, yeah, but no, you I know where it. to take it. I know it. where to take it. That one was clear to me. I'm good at that shit. What's really not clear, but crazy spidey senses for me, is that beverage companies, let's talk business for a minute, have been really affected recently by the spikes and now the slight and now the decline of sparkling seltzer. Uh, in the nerd world where you live, the aggressive explosion of natural wines and orange wines and right in the nerd world. Uh, in the broad world, uh, in the last decade, you have 25-year-old women drinking bourbon for real. I had an entire career in the liquor industry from 14 to 35, I would say. So let's call it from, this is real now, from 1990 to 2011, I really had a wine career. I watched every day consumers in a store and the internet. And I can tell you that brown goods, bourbon and scotch, 
were declining every day of my career. <laughs> it's crazy. Right? Rosé. In the last Non-existent. Day, no, we, sell, we sell more cases of rosé in a week now than we did in a year in all 12 years of my main, like when I was really running shit at Wine Library. So what I, my prediction is something weird is gonna happen. I'm not kidding. This is a funny prediction to make. It's pretty broad. Like something maybe unexpected? Yes, or? like um, not as obvious as like sweet red wine, which I think- Like the prisoner? No, that's dry even- wine that has a lot of fruit. I'm talking like Lambru- like oh. Lambrusco becomes as big as, like it becomes huge. Like, like champagne or even bigger. But sweet. Right. Like, like almost like kosher wines that are like red sweet wine become like, like if you told Man, me in four years, yeah, if you told me in four years that there is more sweet red wine that is being drank in America between 10 and $20 than Pinot Grigio, I would say my prediction became right. There were, that I, I, the consumer, the consumer from 20 to 35 is wide open for something radical. Blue wine, green wine, uh, uh, hot wine. I'm making up shit right now. Like, like, like I, which is like mead, right? Like, yeah. like you can feel the curie. What happened was the wine world used to be dictated by Spectator and Parker, right? And the Wall Street Journal. It's more democratized and now. It's so democratized, right? And you have entrepreneurs that are like entering and doing different shit, and you have a lot of curious. And the alcohol business. You look at Ryan Reynolds. You look at The Rock. Right, you look at McGregor, there's such big money being made, right? Empathy with me, that you've got people saying, and then and then I think like it's one of those, like, you know how penicillin was like an accident? Bread. Right? By the way, another thing I learned on Google long after my life. I think that something may this is kind of my spidey senses in this decade. Somebody's like gonna, some strain of something's some strain, gonna come something, up. Something, yeah. It's not, it's going to be like, what if we made alcohol the way they make soda? What if we make alcohol, I'll give you one. What if wine really aggressively mixed with fruit and sangria went from casual to elite? Like why couldn't, like I'll give you an example. Why couldn't a white wine that is high quality, a Chasson Montrachet producer, that had a wild kid like me. Like if I was coming up third generation Chasson Montrachet family, I know me. I know myself inside out. Nobody knows yourself better than yourself. I would be like, fuck, I don't want to just be the guy who's like grandfather and father put them on or grandmother and grandmother put them on. I'm going to make a wine that's mixed with the pears from my other side of the family. Co-fermentation. So it's starting to happen and getting attention. Good. You know, but it's sort of still in that natural wine corner. I believe the breakout hit, everybody in the Hamptons, morning television, the culture, the pop culture, the Beyonce and the, and the you know, Justin Bieber of the day in seven years might be on that apple white wine where it's like real co-fermentation on that watermelon, like not flavors, not nuances. No, no, no. I just feel like something's brewing and I think all the pieces are in place for deep innovation in the wine game and I think it will never be the same after. So to that point, it's kind of happening. And I've had guests on that have talked about like co-fermentations, fruit, the type of farming where they're growing pears and grapes. 
you know, there are people doing that, but it still falls. Is there a on- wine that you can talk to? Hayu Farms, Nate Reddy. He's a permaculturist. And so what, what does it taste like? Um, it's like a field blend. But it with- has but has other things besides grapes? Yeah. I mean, he'll put pears. And does, and in and it. does it taste sweet? Um, Have you had one yet? Yes, I've had a bunch. And, and? some are sweeter and some are sweet, but they're yeah, not. Yeah, I'm very cl- into that. They're not cloying sweet. I, I'm going to have to get you yeah, that. Yeah, please. There's a, but the question really is, is that kind of still falls in that natural wine world? Cause that's the guy doing it, you know, not Arahu you, or whatever. What happens, is, what happens is you have a Randall Graham that comes along and an innovator, an innovator, different time than natural, right. but, but you have somebody come into the natural wine game who also wants to be Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or Sarah Blakely. So they're not there just for the art. They're there for the he commercial produce success. His dream. And they mass produce quality. Right. Right. Mass producing is one thing. It's one thing to be two buck Chuck. It's another thing to make Tignanello, which makes plenty of cases. Right. Um, so does the natural wine world, I, I mean, give me your thoughts everything, on that. Everything goes from hippie to mainstream. So it's a so thing that's going like, to become. You were a hippie, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, you see these kids talking about meditation and and microdosing it's mainstream. It's mainstream. You're like, fuck, this was the most extreme shit. Now, Mike, you probably laugh at your boys. You're like, these fuckers think they're innovating. I was doing this shit 100 years ago. That's, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> so that's what I think is going to happen with natural wine, especially co-fermentation. Listen, I'm sitting here right now being like, fuck, man, I need to start a co-fermentation. I love blueberries. I've got a great brand in that, right? I lo- everyone knows I love hey. blueberries. I- I'm not talking about blueberry I'm gonna, wine. I'm not talking about blueberry wine, which I've had. It's too sweet. I'm talking about I want to make a fucking Bryant family right. that has 30% blueberries in it. And I have no fucking idea what that tastes like. I'm going to get educated on co-fermentation. But I'm, I'm going to get a few bottles in front of you because I want you to yeah. see that it exists. Who do we play after time? Buffalo? That's next, um, this weekend. What's the 21st? Do we know? I forgot. Tells Will's you what kind of check. season it is where I don't have the Will's gonna schedule. Check. Do you think... Do you think this stuff happens because we're in a digital media world, which has had an incredible effect on wine? We talked about the democratization of it, you know, where people are involved. We're talking about the audience that uses digital heavier, maybe a little younger. I mean, does, of course. is that what's going to push all of this yes. stuff? Do you think natural wine has a presence because of digital media or would have been more organic Of and course slower? it does because without digital media – Spectator and Parker would continue to dictate the agenda. Right. And and maybe it would be bigger because Parker's gotten older and obviously he like that he was a human. So that would have played out. But Spectator, like you understand Parker was less commercial than Spectator, but, but he had equally this influential. Equally and he had a type. You know, he loved that he Correct. drove the market he to did. these big so juicy wines. Right. And so Yeah, and so same with them. W- what I don't know is Whoever would have been the new the new Parker, if she or he would have pushed natural wines, I don't know if the editors at the Spectator would have pushed it. But the reason it's happened is sommeliers on Instagram, characters like you. I mean, I view everything that's going on in wine media today as a derivative of Wine Library TV. I believe when I'm older. How do you tell me how that connects? Easy, because Wine Library TV was the first entity that really hit scale that had influence. We had great bloggers, monography, you know, Alder. Like we, we had some great Dr. Vino. We had some really great vlogger, uh, bloggers, um, but they all stayed pretty narrow. 
in the wine world, right? Right. You know, but Wine Library TV, I mean, every second restaurant I go to in life, every third restaurant I go to in life, the sommelier comes up to me and tells me a story of being 15, 14, 12. How it influenced. 100%. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's... I'm incredibly proud. And I say this not with bravado or cockiness. I say it with like right luckiness of right place, right time. But I do believe Wine Library TV. And I believe the Vino. And I believe, uh, what was that thing Eric built in? Cellar uh, Tracker. I think... Eric Levine's right? still doing right? it. Mark wine Squ- Berserkers. And, that, and Mark Squires before Wine Berserkers, right. Wine Berserkers. He merged in There with- was all these things. I don't think it's a singular story of Wine Library TV, but I think there were seven to 12 things that happened, those individuals that I've re- named and others, that changed everything forever. It wasn't a Tanzer. I mean, you had Parker Spectator with Tanzer in a third spot, and that Burr was it. Hound, yeah. I mean, For yeah, Burkhound was, was super so narrow. Yeah. Fucking, yeah, Wine Enthusiast was really not in the game. There was True. nothing else. And now you have all these things, which is amazing. Yeah. And and you know what's exciting to me? Tomorrow, a sommelier who's quietly been doing work in Austin, Texas, she decides, you know what? I'm going to start making TikToks. And in fucking 24 months, she's the single Star. most important value, voice in the game. And if she loves Gamay more than life, well, guess what? She's going to push the needle on Let that. there be no confusion. Shatniff the Pop was a non-factor in this country before Robert Parker. A non-factor. Robert Parker giving Dan Phillips and Jorge Ordonez his platform at scale in the late 90s, early 2000s was monumental in he the was explosion a big of yeah. Spain and Australia. And I would argue is a derivative impact on the hurting aspect of premium Spanish and Australian wines because the backside- That's a good of, overall right? point. In yeah. a gold rush, yes. they were crushing, but what happened was they all started making wine that didn't taste like anything other than fruit bombs. There was no terroir, there was no character that made people distinctive from others. And now it's unbelievable to me how many people don't even consider a $50 Australian or Spanish wine outside of a couple small producers. I know. It's, and that was because it rose too fast and crashed. That's it, exactly what happened in Australia. It's coming back. You know, I have a story. I, I was a wine library fan. Pretty much watched it, what was it, almost every day, right? And I remember I was at Sirius Satellite. I had been in broadcast, and I wanted to do a wine show. And because of that, and then there was a story in the New York Times, the cover of the food section. We're talking like 15, 16 years ago, right? 14 years. I kind of tracked you down. At my book signing. At, at, at your book signing. Actually, it was and 2000, ta- to give you exact date, it was talked you into doing this show. And it was we, his mustache, folks. We, yeah, I don't I have like, it this anymore. This guy's mustache but we, is trustworthy. But the funny thing is, and this is... Kind of the sweet part of the story is I tracked you down to do wine because I couldn't think of anybody like more current today. This is the presentation and angle we want. So I talked you into it. I talked serious into it. We took a meeting with the head of programming. They said, this sounds great. And at the end of the meeting, you said, I just don't want to do a show on wine. And everybody's like, where'd this come (laughs) from? It's like, what do you want to do? I want to do a show on social media you know, whatever the, it wasn't the internet, it wasn't social media. It was what was going on. Web 2.0. On. 
Right. That's what it was called. And we wound up not doing just the wine show. We did Wine and Web where we spoke about both. And, in, you know, that was really, really early days. So that, that was very and cool. And we had crazy guests. The best. <laughs> the best. Saka I'm actually going to post with yeah. Travis, uh, Four Square, everybody. It was crazy. Our first wine guest was the Opus guy. It was awesome. You know, which we wouldn't have show. now. All right, Do Gary. You, you know my favorite part before we wrap up real quick for everybody? No, we're not wrapping up. We're not? No, we have a few more minutes. Okay, no, no, I understand that. But real quick, hundredth of a second. So I'm all improv. There is no prep. So I'm like, Sam, trust me. I got this. <laughs> so everything's great. Drove and the first, the first fucking segment rips because I'm good. But then I have to read a commercial. Oh, yeah. So, remember this? So they give me the script. So the ba, ba, dirty ba, 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 secret ba, ba. is I can't read for shit at all. And so I crush the first segment. And then we go to the commercial and I read it, and it is a train wreck. It was, it I was, was staring at you. <laughs> Sam, like what happened? Sam, for the first three minutes, Sam was like, I did it. I found right. the next letterman. I'm a genius. <laughs> and then this happens. And to Sam's credit, I'll never forget this. In, so I read my commercial, and then it goes to commercial. And he runs in like a leader and a partner should. And he goes, listen, Stern would improv his things and it's why he did so well. This all happened in three minutes in between segments. He's like, we're gonna have to have you do that. And I said, good, that, that works for me. Can you give, can you take the paper like just like he has right now? I'm like, can you just give me four bullets? Bullet I remember Stellar Artois. I remember the That's fucking right. sponsor. And he came back and I had a, sh- so the next comp, next break I have to read again and there's like six bullets on it and I fucking crushed it. And that's how I did it forever. That was it. It was awesome. And we still have those. So at some point we could uh, play them. All right. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to do two things. Then I'll let you go. I want to talk about your book, which is very current because it's coming out. And nobody leaves the Grape Nation without answering the wine list. You've done it twice. So we're going to do that. We're talking to Gary Vaynerchuk. You're listening to the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, helping you to plan your next getaway. Ithaca has waterfalls and wineries, art and theater, outdoor recreation, and family fun. The area is famous for its glacier-carved gorges, co-op-run businesses, and cultural influences from Cornell University and Ithaca College. Plus, you can't beat the beauty of Cayuga Lake, the largest of the Finger Lakes. Beyond 150 waterfalls and some of the region's best hiking trails, Ithaca is cider. The area is well known for its local cideries, which are leading the way in America's cider revival. You can hear from the region's cider makers directly on HRN's series Hardcore. There's something really special about Ithaca's climate for cultivating delicious apples steeped in history and terroir. Let Visit Ithaca help you plan your next trip to this hub of food, drink, culture, and agritourism. Home of New York's craft cider, I love New York. Get started at visitithaca.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, Let's talk about your new book. Um, I got to read a lot of it when we were watching the Jet game here, <laughs> did a little research. So I, I think I have more than a feel of what it is. And knowing you, I know exactly what it is. Um, so the book is called 12 and a Half, Leveraging the Emotional Ingredients Necessary for Business Success. 
Um, the book comes out at the end of November, right? That's Technically right. the 30th, I That's think. That's right. It was supposed to come out the 16th, right. supply chain issues, da, da, da. So in looking at this book, and I know this always existed, this book has a very human side to it. I think that's what it's really, yeah. you know, all about. Yeah, that, I mean, that part of the subtitle, the business success, what it really is, is life success. But It's preaching I'm, emotional skills, you know, that are important to life and business. So we, we get the crappy questions out of the way. Why this book? Why now? I was ready to write it. I've been flirting with it for a decade. Um, COVID, I time. You know, I was just sitting and thinking. Um, I'm also 45 now, you know, like I, you know what, look, the book's called 12 and a half. There's 13 ingredients to success. One of them is candor. And I spoke, I speak very vulnerably. Isn't that the half candor? I call it now kind Kind candor. candor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I speak very openly in the book that every bad thing in my professional career is predicated on my inability to be candorous, which is wild to people because I'm incredibly candorous as a public figure as Gary Vee in sports talk and life, but one-on-one as a manager, I'm not confrontational. And you know, my dad is, you know my dad. My dad is very confrontational. I think I started off not confrontational and then I was groomed under his confrontation, which made me want to go the other way. And so I got into this place where I really struggled with it. And when I look at my career and when I look at other, you know, this is not a book of focus group of one. This book is about me observing a lot of people that have won and my winnings. And this is about sustainability. You can do the wrong things and make money. Let there be no confusion. It is very easy. It's the long haul. It's the the long haul. Are you sustaining happiness? Lack of anxiety. Are you sustaining good relationships? Look, Sam, you you have a very good read on me because you know a lot of people that work for me. Your boys have worked with me. Like you have a really good sense. I'm actually gonna reverse this. You had mentors, watched a lot of people succeed in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. You have a real front row seat to my growth over the last you know, 12 years, 13 years front row seat, I think it's incredibly clear to you what I'm saying here, which is there's been people that have amassed clout, power, and money the same way I have. I have just done it a very different way. Agreed. And, and let's flip it. In that agreed, because I think it will help the audience, because I think it's one thing for me to talk to it. When I say that, when I set that up, what are your observations as somebody who's seen it in the inside of being in successful organizations? And then seen it through the eyes of two of your sons and being close to me and close to a lot of people. What is the punchline of what I'm trying to say from your perspective? Well, I I think the 12 traits is something you've lived, talked about, taught. But I also think there's a thing of hard skills versus soft skills. And I think the soft skills is something that's very important to what you're talking about and has been executed. And you and I didn't grow up hearing things like, Kindness is a foundation for business success. No, I worked. Nobody ever. You heard and that. I are generationally yes. different. Correct. I worked in a world where it was really right different. Cor- two different Correct. looks. So, for example, from none of this went into play. Correct. For everybody who's listening, I, Gary Vaynerchuk, do not have the answer to why a manager or boss should ever scold somebody aggressively with cursing and anger in front of other people. 
and and by the way, not even in front of other people. But let's let's paint this picture. I, Gary Vaynerchuk, this is gonna be fun. For, I think people are gonna learn. I, Gary Vaynerchuk, can't wrap my head around why there is ever an appropriate time to curse out somebody in front of other employees around something that has gone wrong. Sam, in your career, how many times have you seen a boss or manager do such things? Rough guess. Rough guess. Every meeting? Right, rough guess. A real number. Give, throw uh, me a number. An actual? 30, uh, I don't know. Almost a thousand times, six, eight hundred, a thousand. And what Sam in his generation and I in my generation thought was nothing of it because there was a level of this is what happens in business. Right. I believe that the way to win in business. Now, so everybody understands. So there's no confusion. This is a very important moment in this interview, this subject matter. I'm not on some foofy, foofy, kumbaya, entitlement, let's overcoddle people shit. I'm in the, I wanna win the whole fucking game. So this is the flip. What my point is, and my hypothesis is, is kindness and gratitude and empathy and compassion and all these things is actually the hard skill. That's the brain twist. Flipping it around. I'm flipping it. I'm stronger and more alpha and a bigger beast than the dude or the chick that goes into the office and fucking kills everybody by being able to handle the pressure, synthesize it. I always said to my dad. So that's making everything work together. I'm like, and I say this to all of my dads out there. My dad's evolved tremendously under our relationship. I tell everybody who's this tough guy, I'm like, you're a bitch dog. You're just, (laughs) you're just a barker. You don't bite. True. You got to. Think about how many people you know as executives who love to bark but had no bite. I'm sweet as shit, but I'll bite your fucking face off. So let there be no confusion here. And that's the point of the book, which is the new alpha isn't sharp elbows. It's not, there's no, this concept, I, you know what I hate more than any, my least favorite statement that is accepted in the world is nice guys finish last. It's just not true. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. It's fucking stupid. This book bears that out and buries it. Buries it. Buries it. Buries it. Yeah. And I believe that the way the world's structured, and this is not over coddling about Gen Z, this is options. How the hell are you gonna get somebody to work for you when they can just make 80,000 a year being on TikTok flipping t-shirts? That's right. You think they need to come in and fucking have you scold them on some bullshit? No. Well, guess what? Eh. This is about options. This is about true entrepreneurship and capitalism and opportunity. Like, these kids don't wanna work. No, they, they love to work. They just wanna make more money and be happy. Right. The fuck should they go take a $20,000 a year job right. like That's we did? That's a bad read and get on the other on. side. Yeah. It's a bad read by the old dogs on the eight feet of snow to school shit. On the flip side, for all the kids that just cheered, there's a lot of accountability that's missing. Right. The, what is going on in every generation is pointing fingers, not thumbs. So those are the things to look out for. Do you see this book as like a reference or a manual? I mean, I you- see it as a spark plug. To get things started? Yeah, I think everyone who, I think this is going to end up being my biggest book. And I think the reasons why is that everybody around me who doesn't bullshit me because, not because they're trying to not bullshit me, but because they, it's just their subconscious. Like I know who's around me who gasses me up. I know who 
tries to tear me down in a fun way, like, because they're my boy, right. right? Keep me humble. And I know the people that are just matter of fact. The matter of fact crew, my publisher Hollis, some other people, were caught off guard. And that's why I know I got something. And I knew it when I was writing it. I knew that I was saying things in a different way, with more clarity, with more nuance, or talked it through. You know this about me. I'm misunderstood by some people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, generally, like the cursing. Yeah. People think that, which is, is out of context. Or that I got lucky, or, yeah. or that I think I'm, uh, I'll give you one, and you know this, the most hidden thing about me in my content in Quick Bites is probably the thing that I think leads to most of my success, which is humility. You know this. You know this so well. I know this. Most people that see my content would struggle to say that's a humble guy because I come so sports, so wrestling, so much conviction, so much confidence. On the flip side, my behavior in real life is wildly grounded in humility. Oh, yeah. You agree with that, right? A hundred percent. Well, listen, that's, that's why powerful. you have to take time to know and understand people before you make any kind of judgment. Yeah, you probably... I mean, I work with Howard Stern for 30 years. People go, he sucks. Well, do you listen to him? Right. Not really. Well, maybe you don't know. Yeah, you you've know? really had a funny career where, you know, Howard, me, like you've been around people who've genuinely invoked reaction and hot takes. I think I'm drawn to that. It's yeah. more, you know, it's, it's more, more interesting. interesting. <laughs> um, jinx. Right, so- oh, he can't talk. No, no. That's it. That's it. I got you on the jinx. You've got to respect it. Wait, right, what so- happened? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, stop it. Um, all right. So that's the book. That's yep. 12 and a half. Yep. Um, that'll be available. You can order it now. So it'll be ready when it comes out. Um, I already gave you five extra minutes. No, you now- didn't. We got to do one last thing. Fast. We do the wine list. We ask all our guests, 200 episodes. We've asked 200 people the same five questions. Well, not 200 people because you've had green on 40 times. No, but they've the 200 versions of not 200 people. All right. Spontaneous. You're in a rush, so you move quickly. I beg people to do that because it's the end of the show. What are you drinking now? What's interesting you? What's in the fridge? I'm drinking Donhoff like crazy. So Riesling. Riesling. Okay. You were never in my recollection a huge riesling guy you know you knew it appreciate but you're you're appreciating that now why i i love the way i'm eating right is affecting it i'm eating a ton of fish and sushi so you're pairing comparable stuff i I agree with you and and i genuinely enjoy the ease of it i don't have to think and it's it's kind of like having an intellectual conversation with somebody who has no emotional baggage. It's like, it's interesting and easy. I agree. And it's a Psalm favorite and it's going through some good growth. I need that clip. That was clever. All right. You'll get it. This is the goofiest question. Go. Favorite wine and food pairing. Not something you eat every night. I I tweeted something yesterday. What was it? Something. Amaroni and Butterfingers. You did. I was going to say it's something sweet. And I saw that. You know why? We were here watching the Jet game and we brought in Butterfingers and Amaroni was sitting on the table. So you paired. I'm a big Amaroni and Amaroni already has that chocolate infrastructure. Candy bars and wine are fun for me and have always been fun. So I'll go Amaroni and Butterfingers. All right. All right. Third question, you should be able to answer this, even though COVID and all that. I don't want you to think you're leaving people out or you have to favor anybody, but favorite wine restaurant and or bar? 
with an eye towards you know wine. I, when you, you walk in, you know yeah. they got the list, the I vibe. I, it's been tough to your point with COVID. You know where I went? Coat. The, well, no, Victoria James has that grown was up. Her by the glasses, Magnum's only. I, I know. Yeah. I mean, I was. That's not that's only did the I right just go answer. There. Well, great. I went. I was blown away. So much so, I'm going again tomorrow night. Okay. Do you have anything else that jumps to mind like that? No. Okay. I so don't want to make it up. That no, was no, the but clear that's, answer. That's a very good answer for that. Because that's all right. Favorite all time wine. I think the first time I asked you this, I was sort of intimating, Gary, what's that rare, expensive wine? The 47 Chevel? Yeah. But the question really is morphed into what's that wine to this day that was like a gateway or important I to you where you look I got back? It. I got two that stand out. That two was Ken- fine. Kenwood 1992 Chardonnay. Okay. Because it was the first wine I sold like crazy for my. It was the wine I sold that made my. I will never forget. But it. you drank it and liked it. Well, that's where I'm going. It was the wine I sold as a kid that 100. percent If you call my dad right now and said, "When did you know your son had it?" He would reply, and we haven't talked Kenwood? about Kenwood. He would say Kenwood Chardonnay. That's crazy. Because we had tons of it, and everybody bought Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. Everybody in 1992, and people were walking in. And I sold like 27 cases on a Saturday. Wait, did you say Kenwood or Kendall Jackson? Kenwood. Right. And Kendall Jackson was hugely popular. Oh, it was, it was, right. It was our number one selling wine every day that I was a kid by a factor of 10. And uh, that's the only thing people drank. Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio, Corvo Red and White, Bouton Cadet Wet Red and White, right. and Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. Unbelievable. That was like, that was it. So you said two wines. So the Kenwood. Kenwood Chard. And then I tasted it like four years later. Oof. When, and it was like, it was still like, it was nothing great, but it was fun. It was oaky. Uh, there was an Amarone that I tasted in Scotch Plains during a tasting for Lauber uh, that... To this day, it's a little hazy which Amarone it was, so I, I don't want to even like make it up. I've tried to guess what it was based on their portfolio in the past. I don't recall. I do recall. But it was happened. an Amarone. It was an Amarone. I tasted it, and it was the first time. You're going to like this. It was the first time I tasted something that wasn't red or white. The first year and a half of my career. It's made differently. Forget about that. Fair. But it was the first time I tasted something that wasn't. I remember a year into my career, the whole year of 1999, because now I was old enough to drink, um, that I was nervous because I was only tasting. I was only, like, if somebody said, what does this taste like? I would say, wine. And it was the first time I tasted chocolate. I got so excited, I ran out of Scotch Plains restaurant with my old Nokia, (laughs) called my mom with the big antenna. I'll never, I was in the parking lot. I go, mom, I was so excited. I said, mom, it's it's gonna happen. It was a big deal for me. Those that's are two great. Words. See, that's that's the answer to the question. Yeah. The way I want it now. You know yeah, what was cool. that? Um, all right, last question, and I think you should be as good as anybody to answer this because of your background and your passion. Um, retail, wine lover, collector, all that. Recommend to me best wine around 15, 20, 22 bucks. Give me a red, give me a white. You could do a category like Muscadet is great, and with oysters, it's a cheap wine. Um, 
you know, Will, Jake, Ben, they can't go to a party and bring supermarket wine anymore, but they can't spend 45 bucks. So well, how do you just wow- take some shit out of your Well, cellar? that's different. But how do you wow at 18, 20, 22? What, what comes to mind? Portuguese reds are insane. Okay, They're I agree. so undervalued. Still. Is this something that you're thinking now or that's been the way it's for you a- for years? Yeah, because it's a little involved now. Do you know how now. insane it is for me? As my career evolves and I get a little bit more dangerous, you know, financially, I'm pretty interested in buying a vineyard in the Douro winery in Douro. All right. I'll go in with you on that. Um, I know you will. Uh, So Portuguese red at 20 bucks is insanity. That's a great answer. I think it's $50 European red. I agree with you on that. We Uh, actually, we visited the Douro and we went into a lot of wineries. I love it. It's awesome. What about a white? You know, I got a funny answer to this that has caught me off guard. I'm going to give you a non-nerd answer. I think $20 retail American New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is a home run for listeners. Does a maker come to mind? It doesn't have to, but you must be associating the wine and a maker. Yeah, I'm associating a lot of the tastings I've been doing for wine text. The problem is I'm tasting so not thoughtfully. I'm, I'm tasting to see if it's quality and then just saying yes and then Brandon does everything. That's kind and of I'm a not, pure way not, to do it though. Well, this is why I'm giving the answer. I have been completely taken aback by, remember what I said, 20. So most New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that everybody's buying 16, is 13, 12, 14, right. You know, this is the better, mm-hmm. but that's the range I'm asking you. So that There was falls. one I had. Fuck man, I really. If you, wish I, I will talk to you Brandon. offline. Yeah, hit up Brand. Brandon's gonna know. I'm not gonna. I have to. He'll he'll know that I was like, oh, this is like lo- the best of Loire Valley on steroids. Wow. I've always loved wine that took Europe and California together and made a birth child. Always. I've always loved wine, not too much like that Spain Australia thing we talked about earlier. So you put that Sauvignon Blanc in that category. I'll tell you why. What, do you have another one that comes to mind that, I mean, that kind of executes I, I mean, that description? I think the much like I said with Portuguese red, the number one deal in white wine at that price point is Italian white wines not named Pinot Grigio. Right. If you spend 18, again, not nine, not 12. Vermentino, Verdicchio. Every Vermentino, Verdicchio, Falangina, awesome. Vernaccia, that is $20 at a discount store like Wine Library. Not at your local wine store that's marking full. I'm talking suggested retail 30, buy for $19.99. You will crush what you get. The reason I went with New Zealand though is I'm gonna put both those down. wines are not as delicious as a New Zealand $20 wine that I'm talking about. Well, it's the grape. Of it's course. got that it's grassy, also the terroir, yeah, right? It's you like know, capi, yeah. gra- it's grapefruit. I know capi doesn't sound exciting, but believe it or not, it converts well. It's big well. time capi. Or I really got to um, get the hell out I of it. I know. I'm going to do a wrap up. I didn't mention yes. that we post all of our answers online. So much. Gary Vaynerchuk. Thank you. All right. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram at SBenRuby, on Twitter at BenRuby, but you could tie that all together with the hashtag The Grape Nation. Whoa, you got to add TikTok. I will. Uh, here's the question. How the hell I've been he a- not- But I've been asking people that we've been trying to build a community on Clubhouse. Am I done with that or should I continue with that? Should I, I mean, focus on TikTok? I think Twitter spaces and TikTok are your way. Okay. But by the way, couldn't you do this after? Because I have 15 minutes. No, no, no. We're meeting. almost done. 
We'll post Gary's wine list on our social media. Here's the last thing. Gary, if people want to find you and all your stuff, what's the best place to go to? Um, I would say text me at 212-931-5731. Okay. But what if they just want to go online and see what's... Google. Okay. So just... I'm the most active... Come on. Remember we talked about this. You ruined my life right now. No. I'm never doing this podcast Years ago. I'm so late. We said if... Okay. All right. Thank you to our guest, Gary Vaynerchuk. Thank you to our engineers at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.